The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. If you are concerned for the future of our world, you want to know that what we do right now will affect things tomorrow. For our children, their children, and generations to come, welcome to The Convergence, featuring Dr. Kurt Johnson, Ben Bowler, and Doug King, plus contributions from our correspondents located across the globe. You'll connect religion and spirituality and learn their roles in making this world a better place. Now, The Convergence. Hello, my name is Ben Bowler from OneGod.com. Together with our partners at the Interspiritual Network and Presence TV, we are thrilled to welcome you to this 13-part radio series called The Convergence, Uniting the Tribes in the Interspiritual Age. The last five decades have seen unprecedented advancement in science and technology. This has accelerated the rate of intercultural engagement as boundary-driven worldviews developed in relative isolation for centuries, are increasingly exposed to other ways of seeing and being in the world. This both challenges and informs views on spirituality, religion and philosophy. When faced with new and different ways of thinking, we can either contract and consolidate our views, which leads to fundamentalism and conflict, or we can evolve and expand our ideas, which leads to new opportunities for harmony, resonance and even convergence. This series is dedicated to the important work of navigating through this evolutionary leap. At the same time consciousness is expanding, the challenges on a global scale are also rapidly increasing. The question is this, will we wake up, will we grow up, just in time to turn this thing around? If we are to do that, then the time is now. It is in this spirit that we present to you this series, The Convergence, a journey of waking up and growing up with Dr. Kurt Johnson and friends. Together with some of the world's leading philosophers, thinkers, artists and visionaries, we explore the leading edges of spirituality, activism and a host of interconnected fields, all essential in moving our planet forward towards a peaceful, positive future. It is my pleasure to introduce to you now your series host, Dr. Kurt Johnson. Thank you, Ben Bowler, for that introduction to the Convergence series. Today's episode is entitled Evolution, Altruism, and Business. It begins with an overview of the wide-ranging implications of Dr. David Sloan Wilson's groundbreaking work on evolution and altruism, and then centers down on a discussion of the implications of that work on our planet's ways of doing business. And we're so pleased to have Dr. Wilson with us as our co-host and moderator. David is author of Does Altruism Exist? Culture, Genes, and the Welfare of Others, the first in Yale Templeton Press's landmark series on the foundational questions in science. 
Dr. Wilson is Distinguished Professor of Biological Sciences and Anthropology at State University of New York and also Arnie Nest Chair in Deep Ecology at the University of Oslo, Norway. Along with his pioneering work on altruism, Dr. Wilson is also a founder of the pro-social movement. You can find out much more about Dr. Wilson at our website and at his websites, evolution-institute.org, and by Googling links for ProSocial and ProSocial Magazine. Videos of a number of roundtable discussions that we have already hosted with over 50 thought leaders worldwide can be found at the Altruism channel at YouTube, along with a number of other websites that are linked at onegod.com slash convergence. So I'm happy now to turn the program over to Dr. David Sloan Wilson, who will begin with a short overview of the altruism paradigm, and then we'll cut back to me so that I can introduce Dr. Wilson's three guests for our discussions today, Dr. Richard Clugston, Catherine Bell, and Steve Farrell, who will join us as a segment two for the rest of the program. That's great, Kurt. Thank you so much. Uh, this has been a real treat to uh, have this, have you organize this event. So the title is uh, Evolution, Altruism, and Business. And if I were to ask which of these words go together and which word stands apart, many people would respond that evolution and business go together because they're both about ruthless competition, while altruism stands apart because it doesn't evolve in nature and it doesn't survive as a business strategy either. And my work uh, over the course of my lifetime provides a different answer. Uh, first, altruism can and does evolve in non-human species, which is nice to know. Second, altruism can be a highly successful business strategy. And in both cases, special conditions are required for altruism to succeed. And knowing these special conditions can vastly improve the quality of life in the workplace and beyond. So in my very short uh, segment here, I'll try to explain how it is that altruism can evolve in nature. We know from Darwin that uh, natural selection favors individuals that survive and reproduce better than other individuals, and that seems to spell bad news for the altruist who is helping others to survive and reproduce at its own expense. Um, and if this were the, only st uh, the whole story, then selfish individuals would always be favored over um, altruists. But there's another part of the story, which is that natural selection favors groups that survive and reproduce better than other groups. And for a group to function well, members must perform services for each other, which is altruism very broadly construed. So groups of altruists outcompete groups of more self-oriented individuals, even if the altruists are at a selected, selective disadvantage uh, within groups. So what we see is that natural selection is pulling in different directions, like a tug of war. Uh, between group competition is pulling in favor of altruism. Within group competition is pulling in favor of more selfish strategies. And altruism wins the tug of war when group level selection outweighs within group uh, selection. And so this theory is called multi-level selection theory, and it explains both the presence and absence of altruism in non-human uh, species. It also explains how we, humans, evolved to be one of the most cooperative species on Earth. Very simply, to the best of our current knowledge, our ancestors evolved mechanisms that suppress disruptive self-serving behaviors within their groups so that succeeding as a group became the main evolutionary force. So we can say that teamwork is the signature adaptation of our species. Now, fast-forwarding to the present, this eternal struggle between behaving for the good of one's group 
and self-serving behaviors at the expense of one's group operates in a business environment just as much as a natural environment. And so this means that we can make a prediction that businesses that foster altruistic behaviors among their members can be highly successful in between-group competition. This is a very different prediction than the main narrative of business, which is that greed is good at all levels. Uh, for example, it's a very common business practices to rank all of the employees within the business and to uh, retain the most successful and to throw out all the ones that are least successful and then to continue that. And that is, is, a, is a course of, of uh, competition uh, within groups. It's called rank and yank. And when we look past the uh, greed is good narrative, and examine the actual literature on business, we find actually much evidence to support the claim that altruism is an excellent business plan when it is suitably protected against the depredations of self-serving behaviors. So special conditions are required, but these conditions exist for the most successful businesses and can be implemented more widely. So against this background, I invite our, um, our other uh, people to uh, consider three things in their own comments. One is uh, the role of narratives, because so much depends on the stories that we tell about business. Second, how in their experience does altruism function at the scale of single businesses? And third, how does altruism function at the scale of large-scale um, economies? And with that, uh, Kurt, I, uh, I bring it back to you. All right. Thank you so much, David. That was a great overview of your historic work on altruism. Now, in discussing this episode, we decided that we had a great group of thought leaders, each of whom had also participated in one of our previous video discussions, and they were just the right group to discuss the implications uh, of your paradigm on the world business community and our ways of doing business. So joining Dr. Wilson and I today are three distinguished guests who I want to introduce briefly now, and more can be found out about each at onegod.com slash convergence. Dr. Richard Clugston is editor of a forthcoming book on the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. He's president of the University Professionals for Sustainability and one of the leaders of the Center for Earth Ethics, founded by Karana Gore at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. He's also a founder of the Forum 21 Institute, which is a forum for discussions among NGOs at the United Nations. Now, Steve Farrell is the worldwide executive director of Humanities Team, a global activist organization known for its creation of Global Oneness Day. Most recently, Humanities Team has co-sponsored the Conscious Business Initiative, along with the Club of Budapest, Irvin Laszlo, and the Goy Peace Foundation. Steve is also a founder and CEO, formerly of several major Silicon Valley enterprises. Now, Catherine Bell is author of a Nautilus Award-winning book, The Awakened Company, which was also chosen as one of the eight top books in leadership for 2015. And she's the founder of Blue Era, which is an executive search firm recently on the Profit 500 list for two years in a row. So Dr. David Sloan Wilson will be your host and moderator for these next segments, and I'll join you again at the end of the program to sum up and chat a bit about our next uh, episode. So let's take a break now, and then when we come back, we'll be all ready for this fascinating discussion. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. 
Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. This is Ben from OneGod.com and World Weaver Spiritual Adventures with a very special invitation to join us on an upcoming interspiritual tour of India called The Mystic Express. We are so excited about this program and we've been working towards it for many years. Together with key hosts and luminary guests from the Convergence Radio Series, we invite you to take the trip of a lifetime through the deeply mystical land of India, source to so many of the world's great spiritual traditions. You will be personally guided by learned masters through the traditions of Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, Sikhism and Sufism. More than just an incredible learning journey, this promises to be a moving, soulful experience that will transform each of us and the way we see the world. This facilitated mystical journey is leaving Delhi on March 14, 2017 and finishes up back in Delhi on March 27. All aboard! For more information, go to worldweavers.com and look for the Mystic Express. World Weavers, Adventures of the Spirit. Hello, we hope you are enjoying this series on the Convergence, uniting the tribes in the interspiritual age. For those of you looking to take a deeper dive into any of this amazing material, Dr. Kurt Johnson has created an entire online learning program called Interspiritual Mastery. And we are thrilled to be hosting this course on our new education platform, One God Academy. The Interspiritual Mastery Program will take you on a guided journey through the amazing developments in spirituality, ecology, indigenous wisdom, and more, giving you a window seat to the dawn of the interspiritual age. For more information on this exciting new program, please go to onegod.com. That's the number one, G-O-D.com. And follow the links to the Academy. Join us in changing the world through the work of waking up and growing up. And let us all strive to unite the tribes in this interspiritual age. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. You are tuned in to The Convergence. You may connect with our program today by calling toll-free 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or send us an email to info at onegod.com. That's I-N-F-O at the number one, God.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to The Convergence. This is David Sloan Wilson, and I'm moderating a fascinating discussion with Steve Farrell, Catherine Bell, and Rick Clugston. Uh, in this segment, we're going to hear from Steve and Catherine about their uh, vision, basically, of altruism, evolution, and, uh, and business. And then we're going to have a great uh, discussion among the, uh, among the uh, four of us. So, uh, Steve, why don't you just start out and, uh, with your view on this topic? Great, thank you. And I, I want to start by thanking and congratulating you, David, for your book, Does Altruism Exist? It's a groundbreaking contribution, as you know, and material relating to today's program also that you co-authored, Doing Well by Doing Good, an Evolution Institute report on socially responsible business, which also makes a great contribution to evolutionary altruistic business, as you describe it. I love it. Okay. Let me also say that I appreciate the opportunity to share during today's program. It is important that we create a new narrative to replace the Darwin survival of the fittest greed is good narrative. It's a false narrative for the reasons that you described, David. And I'd also suggest we go further 
I believe it's wise to create a whole new standard for business in the 21st century, one that can scale to all of global business. The current standard of business based on profit only has outlived its usefulness, and in, in, in our opinion and humanities team, it's time to move on. This is what humanities team and our three partners did. Humanities team together with the Club of Budapest based out of Europe, the Goy Peace Foundation based out of Japan, and the Fowler Center for Business out of Case Western Reserve University have come together to form a conscious business alliance. It's a global alliance for global business and it endeavors to create a new paradigm for business in small and large scale. You can read about it at ConsciousBusinessDeclaration.org. Our first initiative is a Conscious Business Declaration with seven principles, including these that are principles number one and number two, respectively. First, we are one with humanity and all of life. Business and all institutions of the human community are integral parts of a single reality, interrelated, interconnected, and interdependent. And we believe this uh, statement is a universal truth. Then this uh, as number two. The purpose of business is to increase economic prosperity while contributing to a healthy environment and improving human well-being. And of course, this is shifting the business focus to profit through public and planetary benefit from a focus on financial profit alone. On this uh, ConsciousBusinessDeclaration.org site, you'll also read about two other initiatives, uh, Conscious Business Day that follows the Earth Day model for creating public awareness and a conscious business designation for businesses that can demonstrate attainment of conscious business declaration principles. And this uh, we plan to have available by mid-next year, mid-2017. As we know, B corporations are outstanding, but they're only, they only extend to 1,400 businesses globally at the present time, and the primary focus is people, planet, and profit. We add to this presence... And so this is bringing in spiritual literacy, which, of course, says that source and all of life are connected. This is foundational to everything, including business. We hope to partner with B Corporation so between us we can cover the entire global business landscape. Truly, a new standard for global business is needed. Certainly, we can see this when we look out at our communities and on the world. Conscious businesses take advantage of what you, David, describe as altruism that is inextricably linked to the functional organization of groups, and we believe that what you share is true and that we can harness this energy inside conscious businesses. And I look forward to our further discussion here, David, with the rest of the panel. Oh, that's great. So uh, uh, thank you so much, uh, among other things, for being so concise. You took uh, uh, three and a half minutes, and that gives us a half minute more for discussion at the end. So let's get right to Catherine. Catherine, I'm going to be merciless when, when uh, the four minutes is up, uh, just so that you don't think I'm rude if I have to intrude. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Shall I begin? Yes, please. Okay, so thank you so much for your framework. And I'd like everybody to consider these three facts. Over 70% of people are disengaged at work. The majority of people rate their time with their bosses as the worst time of their day. Over 75% of businesses fail within the first nine years. So, so why? Why is this? Greed has limited value. More for more is shallow, meaningless, and ultimately self-destructive. 
Where there are problems, this is where we must start creating organizations. We have a golden opportunity to reevaluate, to create a new way of being, which will have a dramatic effect on our way of doing. New ways of working together are the way to solve the world's greatest challenges. We are the solution, and management research actually points us in the right direction. The Awakened Company merges wisdom traditions, leadership research, and practical know-how. I interviewed the first B Corp, Patagonia, and people like Otto Scharmer, and companies like Zappos for the book. And if you could please just visualize three concentric circles, individuals, relationships, and teams to solve our challenges. And let's start at the individual. About 70% of people are disengaged at work, and of those, 20% are actively disengaged. In fact, working against the organization that hired them. So how do we solve this? Number one is higher self-awareness. Higher self-awareness equals higher profits. Self-awareness is our ability to know our gifts and our work-ons. So we need people to begin with some understanding of their purpose in life and be motivated by those higher purposes, becoming aware of our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions. And studies have shown those who demonstrate a more accurate conception of their own skills, ability, and preferences tend to perform better than those with a less accurate self-conception. Number two is mindfulness, and that is being present to where we are, practicing centering ourselves to help us to become better leaders. Now, the second concentric circle is relationships and organizations. Incredibly sadly, people rank spending time with one's boss as lower than spending time doing chores, like taking out the trash and taking out the kitty litter and the worst time of their day. What is that like for both people? Just how sad. And how long an employee stays and how productive they are in a company is directly determined by their relationship with their immediate supervisor. The most disengaged group of people are those who have a manager who's simply not paying attention. So if your manager ignores you, there's a 40% chance they will be actively disengaged or hostile about their job. But if your manager is at least paying attention, that is even focusing on your weaknesses, that drops down to 22%. But if your manager focuses on your strengths, the chance of disengagement plummets to less than 1%. And in this research, there's gold. We need to notice people's awesome and spend quality time one-on-one with people and describe to them in detail what their talents are, what drives them, and how they think, and how they build relationships. And third, the last circle, the third imperative, which is why I think pro-social is so important, is our organizations. Over 75% of businesses die within the first 10 years. Just the, the financial, the human cost, this isn't working. When we ha- have research which shows us the magical formula is to focus two-thirds on the quality of our interactions and one-third on results. And what's been found is organizations that focus on performance and health simultaneously were twice as successful as those, of, those that focused on health alone and nearly three times as successful as those that prefer, focused on performance alone. So the lowest performers are those that focus solely on financial performance, yet this is what we consistently measure. So most organizations don't understand the real reason why and their purpose, your first point in your framework. So this is where we all need to begin. It's time for us to awaken, and we all can, to a new way of organizing, and one that focuses on our shared humanity, our shared vision, our shared values, and we really must move from a place of fear to a place of love. 
Oh, that's so great. And uh, so uh, there's so much to say about this. And just in the remaining minutes of this segment, let me just point out a few things. One is amazingly how the data speaks to this. And it's just so extraordinary that uh, that uh, in some ways the studies uh, of businesses have already been done, which demonstrate what you were talking about. This came also as a surprise to me. So the current narrative is operating against the weight of scientific evidence. Also, the focus on planetary altruism, Steve's first uh, uh, declaration, that uh, it seems paradoxical, but the businesses that, that succeed the best are the ones that do not have their narrow self-interest in mind. They have a broader view and, and ultimately a view of uh, what I call planetary altruism, which is absolutely essential to, uh, to, uh, to basically solve problems at the highest scale. And then also the importance of spiritual literacy, which is the way that Steve put it, and Catherine also touched upon it, for example, with mindfulness and so on. So I think that uh, you might comment on any one of those now. We don't have much time remaining, but, uh, but uh, these are some of the things that struck me uh, about, what you, about your, what you said. Uh, so please, uh, Steve, uh, also, well, Catherine, please, first. Catherine first, and then Steve, just a, yeah. a minute please, each okay. on, on these observations. Well, when um, your framework was number one, groups and individuals need to understand their purpose. And I think our purposes, and I really feel our purposes, need to be much deeper to capture people's true engagement. And organizations, the majority, like I'm in the trenches all the time with these businesses, the majority, I'd say greater than 90%, don't understand the real purpose. And so how do we elevate that to help people understand their purpose? And ultimately, our purposes are, are spiritual, Okay, that's good. Purpose is spiritual. I mean, that's so interesting and so true. And yet, I think that if if you were to nominate the area of life that's least spiritual, it's business and economics. <laughs> so, it's so, um, um, uh, Steve, please. Yes, the uh, you know we could bring in Ken Wilber's uh, AQAL framework, where he calls uh, the world and today a flatland because all of the focus is on the external world, and what we're talking about here is the internal world where we go within and we commune with the divine. And, uh, of course, all of the religious traditions honor this, so it's, it's time that we come out of the closet, talk about this. It, it's what we all do. Uh, but the other thing I want to share is uh, there are, I think there's an incredible opportunity for business now because as we look at Unilever over in Europe and uh, Tesla here in the U.S. And, and many other conscious businesses, those that are... Um, that are embodying the kinds of things that we're talking about are growing like crazy. The public's getting behind them. Their consumer brand is, is, uh, is, is going nowhere but up. Uh, right, so, right. You know, there's an opportunity to be a leader, and I, I would just say to businesses, come to the front and lead. Great. Okay. Well, that concludes our uh, this segment, and then uh, we look forward to the next segment, and with uh, which we'll bring on uh, uh, Rick Clugston. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Hi friends, this is Ben from OneGod.com with a special announcement. We hope you're enjoying this radio series, The Convergence, a journey of waking up and growing up with Dr. Kurt Johnson and friends. Many of the ideas that have gone into making this series had their original expression through Kurt's landmark book, 
The Coming Into Spiritual Age. It's a modern day spiritual classic full of inspired thinking and heralding an optimistic future right within our grasp. As a special gift to listeners of The Convergence, Dr. Johnson is giving you the first four chapters as a gift. In these first 50 pages, Kurt and co-author David Ord lay out the framework for their grand, integrated, interspiritual vision, a vision that Ken Wilber says might very well change your world. To get your free download of this incredible gift, just go to onegod.com, that's the number one, god.com, and follow the links. Hello everyone, this is Ben from OneGod.com. We hope you are enjoying this series, The Convergence, Uniting the Tribes in the Interspiritual Age. For those of you looking to take a deeper dive into any of this amazing material, Dr. Kurt Johnson has created a magnificent online learning program called Interspiritual Mastery. And we are thrilled to be hosting this course and our new education platform, One God Academy. The Interspiritual Mastery Program will take you on a guided journey through amazing developments in spirituality, ecology, indigenous wisdom and more, giving you a window seat to the dawn of the interspiritual age. For more information on this exciting new program, please go to onegod.com, that's the number one, god.com, and follow the links to the Academy. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. You are tuned in to The Convergence. You may connect with our program today by calling toll-free 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or send us an email to info at onegod.com. That's I-N-F-O at the number one, God.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to The Convergence. This is Dr. David Sloan Wilson, and I'm moderating a great discussion with Steve Farrell, Catherine Bell, and Rick Clarkston. In this segment, we begin with Rick, and then we proceed to a freewheeling discussion. So without further ado, Rick, you have four minutes, and I will be ruthless at the end of the four minutes. Well, thank you, David. Um, I want to really celebrate your drawing attention to altruism, but also to pathological altruism. Um, A lot of my work is at at the macroeconomic level, particularly focused on sustainable development policy at at the United Nations. And there's been a lot of struggle over the last 25 years to really understand what sustainable development is, which in many ways means pulling in social and environmental considerations as well as economic into a new bottom line. But where the pathological altruism comes in, in the way corporations and our economy functions, is that in in a way you think of the shareholders and the and the corporate executives as as a group working together for mutual gain. At the same time, that gain is measured by very short-term return on investment. And so the moral obligation of a corporation is to give the shareholders the biggest possible very short-term return that, that they can. And, of course, that often goes against the grain 
of social and environmental responsibility, let alone caring for seven generations or even a year from now. Um, some corporations like Unilever, for example, have been trying to get a much more long-term perspective into this mix. And, of course, many of the more environmentally and socially responsible businesses are trying to internalize some of those social and environmental costs and benefits that our former speakers referred to. If you look at the Sustainable Development Goals, the UN just in all 193 countries that are members of the United Nations just adopted this Agenda 2030, which includes the Sustainable Development Goals. Goal 8 uh, is actually refers to promote sustained, inclusive, and sustainable economic growth, full and productive employment, and decent work for all. Sounds good. Sounds good. But still, when you get down to the indicators that are being recommended, they all center around GDP growth. Right. Growth domestic product or gross national product really is a measure just of monetized exchanges. And so what you end up measuring is the extent to which a country, a person, a business is increasing its uh, monetary return. And oftentimes in that context, the social and environmental costs are not included. And furthermore, GNP or GDP never was intended to be a measure of, uh, of welfare. Like Darwin, uh, Adam Smith uh, also emphasized love, um, compassion, solidarity, wrote a book called The Theory of Moral Sentiments, and like Darwin, Greed, those who saw themselves benefiting from greed more than from altruism, uh, sort of ignored that whole side and emphasized ruthless competition. So a lot of what the tasks are I see on the macro, in, in, uh, macroeconomic level is that we really do need to integrate fully into the pricing of goods and services, their environmental and social costs. We have to find ways to quit discounting the future, part of which means adopting a precautionary principle, which has been mentioned, which is part of a lot of policy that really has not entered into the corporate business framework much at all, except in... Right, right. Okay, that's great. And that's uh, that's four minutes exactly. I'm so happy you introduced some of these themes, especially the theme of pathological altruism. So many people think that, uh, you know, competition is always bad and nothing but good can come from altruism, but it's more complicated and interesting than that. Uh, there's good and bad forms of competition, and there's good and bad forms of altruism and uh, and cooperation. So, uh, so uh, you know, it's not as if markets are always bad. Mar- some aspects of markets are very, very good, and uh, centralized planning is something which actually usually doesn't work because enough information is available. So the solutions are are going to be very uh, are complex and in, in some cases difficult to uh, uh, to arrive at. It'll be very challenging, especially at the, at the large scale, basically. And I also thank you for bringing in large scale economic uh, economic um, uh, systems. 
So now we have the chance to just uh, just to have a great talk about these things. And, you know, there's so much interest and wisdom in case studies. You've mentioned a few. Unilever has been mentioned twice. And I wonder if we might just, uh, each of you perhaps, pick a favorite example of something that's really working well and can serve as an exemplar for uh, for all of us. I am... Um... Love. I have a story about Patagonia. I loved uh, interviewing the CEO, and what I loved even further is when I heard a story. And um, here's what happened. A, a large uh, energy producer, a large oil and gas company said, we want Patagonia to, um, to kind of out- outfit our team with, with new outfits for everybody and do them all logoed. And Patagonia could have stood to made, make a lot of money um, fulfilling that order. But they chose not to. And they chose not to because they're not supportive, particularly of oil and gas. And I think the more we stand uh, up for our values and mm-hmm. what we believe in and stay true to our corporate visions, um, the better we will, we will all be. So I just wanted to share, and I love Patagonia as a company. They stand up for what they believe, and they make tough, tough, tough choices. Right. Well, that's a great uh, example. And so I, I actually, let me just insert something there. I've actually done my own interviews with B Corps, and they don't, they don't always uh, do that. I mean, that, that of course, was a, a very uh, noble and, and also costly thing to do. But one thing they do do to varying degrees is to basically to evaluate their, their, the people and the organizations that they do business with, their suppliers so on, and, and, and so on, and really inquire into their own integrity. And to the extent that they can while remaining in business, they do pick cooperative companies over less cooperative companies. And you can see that that process of, of cooperation at, at that higher level will help to to basically win that tug of war, basically. If cooperative companies band together with other cooperative companies, then that can extend the the, uh, scale of cooperation uh, still uh, still, uh, higher. So, uh, Steve or Rick, uh, what's your example? Yeah, I, uh, you know, it's a tough one. I live in Boulder, and, and uh, there are many small and middle-sized companies here that would be great examples. But let me stay with Unilever. Uh, Paul Pullman, who's their leader, yeah. uh, I think does a great job. The eco-packaging is something that's gotten a, a good deal of attention recently where they're trying to reduce waste and, and uh, mimic nature. Um, I'm not sure they get all the way down to zero waste, but uh, it gets way down, and uh, there's been some pretty good media attention there. As well, uh, Paul Pullman hasn't been reluctant to step out. He is a part of uh, a number of alliances, the B team that's, uh, that has uh, a number of leaders involved, including Ariana Huffington. He's also a founding signatory of the Conscious Business Declaration. And so uh, where we uh, talk about things like spiritual literacy, which is a pretty bleeding edge in business. He's not, uh, he's not afraid to go there. Uh, so he's uh, bringing uh, strong products to market. He's a leader uh, in the business community where he's saying with this uh, current model isn't working, that we've got to take the business model in a new direction. It's about more than financial profit. Uh, so he's doing, uh, he's doing lots of good things. That's awesome. Okay, what's our number three example? Um, well, let's see. There, there are many corporations that have gotten into uh, what's called full cost accounting or true pricing or 
through cost, and there's an organization in the Netherlands that consults with uh, a variety, Volvo, for example, in Sweden, um, to actually help them design their business model based on internalizing social and environmental costs and everything they do. And so a lot of where the, the rub comes in is that still these tend to be rather niche markets. If you take something like organic food or humane food or local food or farmer's markets, prices are almost always considerably higher than what you'd get at Walmart or wherever. And, and, and a lot of where the real task lies is making, trying to, trying to differentiate between good and bad economic activities. So in point of fact, humane, organic, local, fair trade food should be cheaper, not more expensive. Right. It actually internalized all these costs. Yeah, that's right. And so, um, absolutely. And I was going to ask, you you made the observation that a lot of these success stories are niche markets, although I'm not sure you can say that about Unilever. Can this be a model for just uh, all companies, basically, uh, not just niche market companies? I put that to any of you. Well, you have to look at the broad range of products that they're making available. And, and of course, they segment the markets. So at the same time that they're doing really green things over here, they might be doing really brown things over there. You know? Yeah. That's, that's vertical integration. That's the new business model. Right, right, right. Um, so, and humanity is here, you know, we're at the dawn of a conscious business movement, so we're just right at the beginning. And as I talk to people, uh, that, they, they share with me, yes, we're, we're right on the cusp. We're right there. And, of course, we can see mindfulness is, is, uh, has grown tremendously in the last uh, couple years. Uh, even we, we talk about consciousness. Uh, that's not uh, very bleeding edge anymore either. So I think okay. we're right at, the, right at the beginning of something big. Catherine, did you, we have 45 more seconds. So I believe the business... Uh, and I feel the business of the future is are all going to be social businesses and uh, solving our our challenges because right now the current model isn't working as the data I, I provided. It's time for us all to to rise and you know studies have been done on kind of that two thirds. How do we build that two thirds culture? And I really think your framework, David Sloan Wilson, can really help. And those organizations that focus on culture, um, according to one study by CultureSync, had a 300% return. So in other words, the focus on doing great things is not, it's not mutually exclusive for making a profit. Okay, great. Thank you, Catherine. We, I think we went a little tiny bit over, so we'll, we'll take our break and then we'll organize the next session. So uh, sorry to go just a few seconds over, gentlemen. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. This is Ben from OneGod.com and World Weaver Spiritual Adventures with a very special invitation to join us on an upcoming interspiritual tour of India called The Mystic Express. We are so excited about this program and we've been working towards it for many years. 
Together with key hosts and luminary guests from the Convergence Radio series, we invite you to take the trip of a lifetime through the deeply mystical land of India, source to so many of the world's great spiritual traditions. You will be personally guided by learned masters through the traditions of Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, Sikhism and Sufism. More than just an incredible learning journey, this promises to be a moving, soulful experience that will transform each of us and the way we see the world. This facilitated mystical journey is leaving Delhi on March 14, 2017 and finishes up back in Delhi on March 27. All aboard. For more information, go to worldweavers.com and look for the Mystic Express. Worldweavers, Adventures of the Spirit. Hello, we hope you are enjoying this series on the Convergence, uniting the tribes in the interspiritual age. For those of you looking to take a deeper dive into any of this amazing material, Dr. Kurt Johnson has created an entire online learning program called Interspiritual Mastery, and we are thrilled to be hosting this course on our new education platform, One God Academy. The Interspiritual Mastery Program will take you on a guided journey through the amazing developments in spirituality, ecology, indigenous wisdom, and more, giving you a window seat to the dawn of the interspiritual age. For more information on this exciting new program, please go to onegod.com. That's the number one, G-O-D.com. And follow the links to the Academy. Join us in changing the world through the work of waking up and growing up. And let us all strive to unite the tribes in this interspiritual age. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. You take my vote, I'll take your hand, it's still the same. You are tuned in to The Convergence. You may connect with our program today by calling toll-free 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or send us an email to info at onegod.com. That's I-N-F-O at the number one, god.com. Now back to this week's program. Hello, this is David Sloan Wilson back with The Convergence and my great conversation with Steve Farrell, Catherine Bell, and Rick Clugston. We're entering the final stretch here with a general discussion. I wanted to say that all of us in our own ways are working towards helping uh, businesses in a very practical sense to function better as businesses. And uh, I, this is certainly true in my case, and I think it's true in everyone else's. And I look forward to joining forces with these uh, three and others in order to put up provide a very practical guide for for businesses and if uh, and if you have a business in the listening audience then please get in touch with us and uh, I think that uh, we can actually work directly with you which is pretty exciting so um, uh, now I want to finish up with with a question about government and uh, and my question is uh, how can government play a positive role and uh, and uh, what can we do if government does not play a positive role so uh, so uh, uh, Catherine would you like to uh, start this discussion? So, thank you. Um, Government has the opportunity to elevate the values of a country. Uh, So, in Canada, uh, Justin Trudeau 
speaks a lot about our values of collaboration, inclusion, and welcoming people. And I, I was in Denmark recently, and what I loved about being in Denmark is there was constant cultural reinforcement of happiness and openness. So government can play a role to elevate um, the way everybody behaves in in their respective uh, countries. It's, it's an opportunity. Government has a huge, huge hand in raising our, uh, our level of consciousness. Right, and I'm making a special uh, study of Norway, and uh, it's the same way in the Nordic countries, and so it's no surprise, really, that these countries function very well as societies, in part because of the strong, positive role that government plays, while at the same time not crowding out the market. So, uh, so uh, it's, um, it's uh, very interesting uh, that way. Okay, who's next? Uh, Rick, would you like to go next? Sure. Well, a government... Uh, generally has a, a, a bag of tools, if you will, at its disposal, taxation, purchasing, um, regulation, um, and, and lobbying at, uh, at a global level uh, through the global institutions, UN or WTO or whatever, um, to, to come up with policy commitments. And, and in, in a way, things like a carbon tax as opposed to a tax on labor, uh, taxing financial transactions, regulations such as the you know phasing out dirty coal-fired power plants, um, and particularly purchasing using the the power of the of the federal government, the state government, the local governments to actually purchase uh, products and services that come from these businesses we've been talking about that are committed to people and planet and future generations. Um, very important tools that the government can and should use uh, in terms of moving towards this, and also uh, really driving into the you know the heart of the beast, which is which is beginning to adopt alternatives to GDP as measures of social success. So something like Blend of Year or uh, gross national happiness or uh, genuine progress indicators or uh, genuine wealth indicators, things that are being developed have to consolidate and replace uh, short-term economic growth as the indicator of our well-being. Right, right. And uh, I think it's very important to add that, uh, that we don't want the, this new paradigm that we're, we're uh, trying to create to slot into any current political camp. And uh, one thing I like to say is that for every regulations are like mutations. For everyone that works, there's a hundred that don't work. And so the idea that there's a bureaucracy that needs to be trimmed, uh, all kinds of inefficiencies that get in the way, and that we need a lean system, um, uh, we need the good regulations, uh, but that's a far cry from no regulations. So there's a very interesting middle ground, I think, between current narratives that we're trying to that we're trying to um, that we're trying to fill. Uh, Steve, what do you have to say? Yeah, I'll bring in a few things here. Of course, your pro-social framework uh, is is a nice um, uh, is a nice foundation for this discussion. Um, I was on a uh, program earlier today with Cassandra Veden, who's the president of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, IONS, and uh, one of the things she shared uh, is that uh, fierce love doesn't mean condoning. It means standing strong for what you believe in, knowing what you want to move towards, not away from, which, of course, this is the Martin Luther King and Gandhi uh, message. 
which uh, to me is uh, is so important now uh, coming here behind this uh, November 8 election. The uh, it, What can government do? Well, a lot. What's it going to do? Very little. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we thought we were going to have the wind at our back. Now we've got the wind coming straight at us. And uh, so within Humanities Team, the question that we're posing is, okay, what... Uh, how do we move forward? How do we, uh, because we're all at this moment of choice, and we're either going to move forward or backward, and we're all uh, uh, determined that we'll move forward, not backward. And candidly, that's a big job as we look at uh, here in the United States what is, what, what is before us. Yes, the United States and worldwide, and so uh, at the same time, I think what really needs to happen is is, is bottom up, and and uh, with bottom up movements, then politics becomes a following force, not a leading force. So, I still have some optimism about the, about uh, that. I want to I want to perhaps end with a question about uh, adaptation, because uh, basically, in order to improve, we need to change. Uh, change is difficult for individuals. We know that. Also, can be extraordinarily difficult for groups, and the bigger the groups are uh, probably the more difficult, meaningful changes. So how is it that a company who wants to do the right thing can actually, uh, can actually accomplish that by changing and, in evolutionary terms, adapting to a new uh, environment? What can you tell us about adaptation and change? Well, I think at the global level, in terms of framing uh, policy for a just, sustainable, and peaceful future. Um, entities like the International Chamber of Commerce uh, need to weigh in much more effectively in terms of uh, demanding this kind of shift in, in commitment to the long term and to social and ecological justice. And they haven't been there yet, so that's one thing. Right. Okay. So we got uh, just uh, a little less than two minutes. So let's have our other two voices, and then we'll wrap up. Well, see, business has just been chugging sideward, sideways now for about a year and a half, and uh, um, so I think I think what's happening in boardrooms is uh, is what is the uh, thing that can move us out of this? How can we make a move out of sideways? Uh, and all of the uh, the material that you've written, David. Uh, the discussion we're having here, um, this, is, this is the future. I, I think it's the humanities team, we, we say it's the next big thing. So uh, the conscious business, and of course we can use other terms, pro-social framework, uh, to talk about this. But I, I think that this is where people are going, it's where society is going, and it's where business is going. Awesome. Uh, Kathy, and you have uh, the last word in, uh, in, uh, in uh, 45 seconds. So it is easiest to begin with these concepts when a team or organization is just forming. It's a lot more challenging when the organization is big. And yes, that's a great, that's a great point. And it can, can be done. It, uh, it gets back to that deeper reason why, your point number one, and then ensuring the system, uh, as you describe, <laughs> is, is in alignment with that deeper reason why. Right. Oh, this has been so great, everyone. And so thanks to Kurt so much and, uh, and for uh, the convergence, for putting it all together. Kurt, I think that we turn this back to you now. Yeah, thanks so much. So oh, thanks, David Sloan Wilson and Dr. Rick Clugston, Catherine Bell, and Steve Farrell. Uh, what really struck me was, oh, my gosh, this is just one little sector of the incredible implications of 
this work on altruism. And it, it uh, leads me then to remind everyone that if you're interested in all of the materials that we've done in these discussions with David, with 50 different thought leaders from across all kinds of different areas of our, of our planet's concerns, then take a look at the Altruism channel at YouTube and take a look at links uh, for ProSocial at Google and the ProSocial magazine, The Science of Working Better Together. All of the uh, videos that we've done are also up at Forum21.co. They're up at SelfCareToEarthCare.com. They're up at InnerSpirituality.com. So it's easy to find this stuff. And also keep an eye now out at OneGod.com slash Convergence where we create for every one of these episodes a sector called Continue the Conversation. So I'll actually be discussing with David and Richard and uh, Catherine and Steve about what we want to create there to further the conversation that we've just had. So this was great. Thank you. Now, next week on The Convergence, uh, we're going to take a very different tack. We're going to feature a discussion of the heritage of our planet's indigenous wisdom shamanism and what is today called subtle activism and it will be hosted by dr david nickel who's the author of a new book by the same name subtle activism now david's going to be joined by a number of prominent leaders in this field which will include david spangler who's the founder of findhorn oscar miro quesada shaman and anthropologist and louisa teich who's the author of Jambalaya and one of the most uh, dynamic voices across our world's indigenous people. So looking forward to that. Thank you for joining our team, Dr. Kurt Johnson, Ben Bowler, and Doug King for The Convergence. We invite you to tune in again next Thursday at 5 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel for another edition of the program. Until we talk again, have an outstanding week. Like tragedies, democracy wakes up diseased. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.